if you're an entrepreneur out there, I just think doing something you love is really important and that ideally is going to affect people in a positive way. I think yeah. that's what has always kept me going. And I've probably worked on about a dozen different startups and there's definitely been some that I start and like a few months into it, I realize, you know, I woke up and I'm not that excited about this anymore. And I think that's like a, a blessing to just, when you've talked a lot about like MVP and like lean product development, yes. but I think we should also consider our own kind of energy MVP energy management, yes. where it's if you're not excited about this or passionate about this, I think most startups, if your goal is to sell or build something with tens of thousands of users, like it's probably going to take at least two to five years, at least most times mm -hmm. 10 if you're raising rounds of funding. So yeah, I would say do something you love. I think that's, I think that's really important because I've seen a lot of people do things they don't love. Hello, dreamers and action takers. Welcome to another episode of the Want Money, Got Money podcast. I'm your host, Sam Kamani, and my guest today is Chris Kastig. So, Chris, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. I wanted to interview you because just because of your profile, you are currently a writer and you're writing a book on a very interesting topic. And that's how I found you through listening to a podcast on that topic. And, and it's all about internet and decentralization and how it affects people. Also, you are a podcaster and you're a faculty at Columbia University. So I just wanted to welcome you. And I've got so many questions for you. So yeah, let's get into it. Great. Great to be here. Thanks, Sam. Yeah. So first of all, how did you get started? How how did you end up doing all these interesting things? Oh my gosh. I'm not sure where to start with that. I'm from New Jersey originally. And I don't know, I guess now you could say the thing I do is I, I teach a class at Columbia called Digital Literacy. And I think that's probably a good metaphor for the different types of work I do, which is writing about ways to understand the new internet, which is coming, which involves crypto and blockchain and a lot of different privacy measures, as well as my past work with my company, One Month. At One Month, we it's an online school, onemonth.com, where we teach people how to code, like the first 30 days of yes. coding. And before that, I was at General Assembly, which is a rather big design and technology and business school that's all around the world and help develop their curriculums for their for a variety of courses like coding, UX, MVP courses. Yeah, I think the common thread is just helping people become more digitally literate in a variety yeah. of different ways. And yeah, I think that's where I'm at now. I wasn't always doing that, but that's in like the past decade, I would say. Yeah. So tell me a bit about your the latest book that you are writing. What's it about and how did you get started with that? Yeah, I am fascinated by not only where the internet is headed, but where it came from. And yes. I, yeah, I've been studying as part of my master's degree in new media. I was welcomed to this world of the past few decades of where, of the, pe of the people that were building the internet that we have today. And when I say the internet that we have today, some people think, oh, Facebook and Google and but that's not the internet. That's this layer on top of the internet. But the original crew, the original people that worked on building the internet were really passionate about democracy and free speech and equality. A lot of the human rights that we enjoy in our everyday lives, they were interested in sharing these in our digital network. 
And in some ways they were explicitly trying to do that, but it was also in, these were like indirect qualities of the way that they saw cyberspace, which was the original name that was often given to the internet. Cyberspace is this way to help people become self-sovereign, meaning their own like liberty detached from the system, responsible for your own self in that way. And, and a lot of these, a lot of these values that they had were coded into the internet that we still use today. And when we talk a lot about in the news, I think in the news, it's really easy these days to talk smack about Mark Zuckerberg or Twitter or Google. And I don't think these people are evil at all. I don't think, I don't think, I think they get a lot more guff than they yes. are for better, for sort of the game to mind than they necessarily probably deserve. And I think it's more that the system is, and not to say that they're completely innocent, some of the, the weight of the decisions which have led us to an internet that we all agree isn't in such good sticks right now, but rather that it's the system surrounding Twitter, Facebook, and a lot of the applications, the internet itself, which we need to understand better and, and help evolve to something that treats our, the human rights that we have in our real life the same way, or maybe even with more security, with more guarantee in the digital world. So that's what the book's about in short. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is a very interesting topic. Can I ask you about, about the whole decentralization and things? And I have always been, I don't know, I've always wondered about that. Is decentralization good or bad or what its net effect would be on society that, you know, that, okay, is on, on one side, people blame Facebook and, and Twitter for policing and clamping down on freedom of speech and stuff. And at the same time, they they blame it for saying that oh you are spreading false media and stuff <laughs> so where, where do you draw the line i don't know if i don't know if you can even see it's basically i feel like what people want is that only the messages they like to be allowed on a platform <laughs> that's how it feels like <laughs> that's a really good that's a really good yeah that's how it feels i think decentralization is good for some things. And I think for other things, we still don't know because we're all part of this experiment where we're still trying to figure it out. I think with decentralization, if we talk, the idea of decentralization has been with us. It precedes the internet, obviously, you know, as far as what we're really talking about is a form of control, a form of governance. How do people within a system designate power? And one of the opposites of the opposite of decentralization would be centralization. And for most of humanity, there was a centralized figure that governed. It was often a king, a monarch that would govern a society. And it's only in the past few hundred years that we've been experimenting on large scale with these democracies where we've been sharing the power and decentralizing that power to run governance in the real world. America being one of the experiments and variety of different countries as well. So I'm saying America because that's where I am. So there's that type of decentralization. And when we look to the internet, the the trend of where the internet has been heading since day one, and the real reason it was started was to take the centralization of power, which back then was just these like massive computers that were like owned by academia, governments, and decentralize that, meaning anything from giving that power to okay, now, Sam, you have a desktop at home, right? Now you can connect to this thing. And now you have a say. And now some of that power gets spread. And it goes anywhere 
Well, it goes like over the years where we had the early web, which was pretty much read only to an extension of read and write, which is what we call web 2.0, which is now, now you have a voice. Now you can add to the internet and you can add to it. If you look at the steps over the past few decades, it seems like decentralization, this kind of unbundling or breaking up is essentially, it's basically eating every different aspect of the real, the meat space, the real world, right? Mark Andreessen famously said, software is eating the world. And in a similar way, or I say part of that is decentralization is eating the world. If you look at what happened to the music industry, where we had these centralized players, they got they basically get cut out. Video, you can have a podcast. Now you're a beacon, you're a creator and not just a receiver. And we're seeing the same thing now with Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrency, which is basically flipping the the banks, which were that centralized power and flipping that so that we now at home can, as they say, be your own bank. So I think what decentralization does really well is it it disperses power to more people. And through a Western liberal lens of where you are and where I am and many, probably many of the listeners, we could probably say it's a good thing. It's hard to say good and bad because it's so subjective. We could probably say it's a good thing because it really is in line with the liberal values of the way we govern people and treat people in the real world. If you're in, let's say on the other side, if you're in China right now, or an authoritarian country, I would say that they don't look so fondly upon decentralization. If you're in China, you have basically one portal, one way to, they're going the other way. They have one way that everyone gets on the internet, very centralized. They, everyone uses WeChat as the central docking, jumping off point into the internet. So I think they would probably say decentralization is bad, but I think, and I think that's what I'm curious about too, is like, how do we think about decentralization? If this is the the way we are pushing the web, there's millions of, maybe tens of thousands of developers. I don't know the exact number, but there's lots of hackers, developers, people that are working on the web 3.0 new internet movement. And which just, I think bringing into question some of these values, what are we creating uh, I love the question you asked that you started this with. Is it good? Is it bad? What? How much decentralization? Where do we push this to? What's because, an acceptable amount? Do we have a choice? Yeah, it's. I hear. Okay, to uh, your example of the music industry, that they were the big players and now they are not. In fact, there are even bigger players like Spotify and Apple Music who control it. So it always flows back to central. So it's a. It is a myth. It's not like US is decentralized. US is in fact extremely centralized. Mm-hmm. I would say mm-hmm. in some cases even more so than China is. It, it's yes on paper it is democracy, yeah. but it's not like. Like anyone can start a third party and become anything. It's it the systems are so entrenched in the last 250 years of history that it is not that easy to um, because I'm sure the complexity of the whole political system, or I'm sure you live through it a lot more than outsiders do. That yeah, I don't know. And even people say that yes, crypto is decentralized and all that, but how many if you take all the transactions of Bitcoin, five percent of accounts control. 95% of bitcoin or something like that it it is crazy it is the it is not as egalitarian as people think as it is it's like what just math himself controls or has 5% of bitcoin or something like that so it is the 
I feel like on surface, yes, it is. But in reality, it is going to bring inequality to the next level. It's instead of having 50 recording companies in a state or in a country, you will have just two players, Apple and Spotify. It's just like the same thing all over again. So I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think to say that Spotify is centralized is true. There is some truth in that. We could probably go... I would say Napster in 2000 was this file sharing app that anyone could all of a sudden share music peer to peer, person to person. And that that was a climax moment that really started music file sharing for the next 10 years from about 2000 to 2010. And now Spotify definitely is the centralized point because there is this kind of divergence and convergence that does does happen. The rules are different though with Spotify and because in the old model, the record labels were the gatekeepers. And in order to even have a voice, you had to go through them. You had to talk to like an A&R rep or somebody like that who you had to pitch them and they held the keys. And so they definitely had a majority of the power. And what happens is they're still around in some respect. It's just they have a little bit less power. The power gets spread. And on Spotify, you as a creator, like anyone could get on Spotify. It costs like $15 a month or something like as a creator to put your music on there. Like anyone can, but I think, yeah, what you're, what you're pointing to is the, the, the problem that's different now is one of attention. I could make some songs in an hour and put them on Spotify. It's not hard. You could put them on YouTube, but is anyone going to go to the page? And then it just creates a different model. So I think, I think in some ways you're definitely onto something with, is it the same model and just a different framing of it now it's centralized people who are the gatekeepers now is the algorithm that's the gatekeeper is yes you can (laughs) um do it and algorithm allows it to scale the the people model doesn't allow it to scale as much you can only have so many reps in the on the street signing up age like signing agents signing up artists and stuff now algorithm can do it for a million that's a really um, good point yeah and yeah. and it, and it is still centralized if you don't agree to the terms and conditions you will be kicked out it is not complete decentralization just if you organize a coup and try to take over a country you will be kicked out yeah. or at least now we don't know future <laughs> talking yeah. about that what do you think of in next five years or ten years where, where do you see internet going what, what i'm excited about is apps that are going to be that are being created right now, but it's the early days that will be more conscious of users owning their own data so that if I'm on the internet right now and I'm using Facebook or Airbnb or different mm-hmm. sites. The majority of my data is being stored by them and locked into these silos. It seems that a lot of the problems that we have today with the internet, whether we're looking at misinformation or propaganda or using Facebook algorithms in certain ways to to basically scale and kind of reach lots of people with with these like messages which aren't always the best for for democracy for the world for tend to come from abuses in certain private data that we have that gets shared and gets manipulated and gets bought and sold and tracked there's new apps being created right now Um, using a variety of different cryptocurrency and blockchain infused apps that are really like have that in mind of giving the user back 
their data as if it's their property. It is, you are creating it and generating it and not having to share it. And I think, yeah, my hope is that the internet becomes more democratic, more a place where more real people are on it and can have conversations without the worry that like a Russian bot is basically trying to spread propaganda to my mom on her Facebook feed. Like, I think that's yeah. the direction that I would like to see and, and that, that I'm interested in following. Another question about that, wouldn't decentralization increase propaganda and false data? How so? What are you thinking about? If Twitter was completely decentralized in a hypothetical situation, if no one, Jack Dorsey or whoever, no, no one contra- controlled it and there was no central authority, anyone could say anything on it, wouldn't it have... Wouldn't you be all of you would be in martial law or something or (laughs) I don't know the coup would be successful then I I don't know it's like there would be nothing to stop anyone there would be a lot more bots there'd be a lot more bad actors yeah I don't know I think it's all an experiment I'm definitely watching and engaged and trying to make sense of it as well it's like still the early days of a lot of this one 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 point of failure in the current system though is identity and the way that we look at identity. If I'm on Twitter, mm-hmm. I can be following 4,000 people or however many people yes. and things get retweeted and they get in my feed prioritized by the algorithm. And what, after researching the internet for the past few years, since 2016, uh, a lot of researchers have shown that a majority of the disinformation and misinformation that is online comes from false identities. Basically, these companies that have to spin up like 25 different fake IDs and yeah, and spin them over years. And so there's the possibility that in a more decentralized and secure, meaning that identity is secured system, that the power of what I filter, like my algorithm that I see is now also decentralized. So as opposed to right now, my Facebook feed is basically made up by Facebook, things that are going to get lots of clicks, Facebook prioritizes, things that you know, are going to benefit their ad revenue because of the business model there tend to get seen, tend to get shared more. I could, for example, there could be a view of my social media, Facebook in the future, where I choose only to see people whose identity is, is registered in a certain way that's guaranteed Mm. where I choose to like prioritize certain friends or certain information or filter out other types of information. The model that people are, are really talking about a lot now is, is Reddit as because Reddit has lots of different subreddits, like little, it's not like Facebook where there's this kind of centralized kind of point of everything feeds into your newsfeed and that's where people get. Yes. But, but with different views, like if I'm in the philosophy group, for example, you're talking about let's say like Plato and Socrates. And that's like the theme of this kind of thread of news. It would be absurd to come in there and all of a sudden start to spew hateful things about whatever the president or QAnon or whatever kicked out. You would get moderated out. I can filter that out. It's like self-selecting by being in certain subreddits. And so I could imagine with a more decentralized network also having ownership of your identity and then being able to self-select the view who you filter out of that identity based on the the types of things they're promoting or where they came from, or if you actually know them. Yeah. Yeah. That makes so much sense. And that's why I have seen that in the last two years, one of the products of Facebook that has done well, or one of the feature, and that is Facebook groups, because the groups are tightly moderated. And some of the groups absolutely don't allow political messages and hateful speech and all that. And you get immediately kicked out of those groups. So some groups that are 
that control that moderation in manually pretty much in between the 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 admins of the group and you have to take you have to every post has to be approved by the admin those groups tend to do really well but the groups which just anyone is allowed they are full, filled with spam pretty much they are just always buy this crypto for this and buy this yeah this for crypto for that or whatever crypto scams pretty much full of that and that's why i do feel like there are just being on the internet this could be my complete unscientific observation but that there feels like there's a lot more scams online on the crypto space compared to the fiat space. If you start taking part in any of the groups online, you would see that because it's more decentralized. There is a lot less policing or it's un, it cannot be policed. So people can do and say, so that's, I feel like that's the downside of decentralization Yeah. at the same time. Well, I, I think, I think that, I think one way to look at it is it's not like, it's not like extremes where it's either we all are super centralized, like in China right now, where everything is one one central point, like one Facebook for everything on the internet, or the other extreme, which is like 4chan, where anything goes and it's like crazy wild west. But yeah. it's starting with a base. It's reimagining what we have now and starting from a place where I am completely ident- completely decentralized with my identity meaning I own my identity, my privacy, meaning I own my data. And then my ability to trust people without having to use a third party to worry about they're going to, my algorithm's going to get boosted or someone's going to snoop in between me. So having those three factors, identity, privacy of my data yes. and trust that I can communicate from there, I can then choose to opt into a community where I can, I can filter. I can say, Hey, I want the control of this group to go to the website owner. Maybe it's the new Mark Zuckerberg, whatever his kid or whatever, (laughs) but in the future. And I can opt into that. Whereas right now there's no opt out. You're only, you're by definition, by default, there's only one option. So it's more about giving you the control. And if you want to go hang out on 4chan and stuff like that, that kind of model where anything goes, sure, you can do that too. I, I don't necessarily want that, but I probably want somewhere in between and I want the option to have those rights and not to sign them over when I sign up, when I click just to sign over all my rights from day one. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. What are your thoughts about FinTech and Robinhood and the whole, the recent GameStop saga? (laughs) What are your thoughts, Sam? (laughs) (laughs) I think, okay, I I have lots of thoughts, but I'll give you one key insight that people are missing out on that okay. no one is talking about. And that is that that Robinhood and this whole GameStop and hedge funds and all, this is not a fight between one person versus 99%. This is, even online, it is a fight between 0.0001% versus 3%. Th- that, is the, that is what's happening. Like 95% of people are not going to trade. They have not bought options for GameStop in U- even in US, let alone the rest of the world. The rest of the world, no one has. Even all the people on Reddit talking about it, most of them have not bought anything. <laughs> I can tell you that and I can guarantee you because only 3 to 4% of US has an account on Robinhood and not all of them are even active. It is very minuscule percent of people who really trade and invest on an active yeah. basis. And the number of people who own a hedge fund or do control the strings is not 1%. It's 0.0001%. So it is not like as mainstream as people uh, make 
got to be. It's higher upper middle class people fighting against super ultra high net worth individuals. Yeah. <laughs> so that is what yeah, I feel like people are I, I think that's true. I I think that's really true and that's what's literally happening. I think the story surrounding that which is interesting is just that these kind of like unknown people that are of ages that are not hedge fund managers that like didn't have access. So look, to play in this game of hedge funds, like you have to be pre-qualified in the United States. You have to like already have a million dollars, be an accredited investor or something like this. So the bar to like join that club is very high. Yes. And once you get in that club, you're able, you're given an asymmetrical amount of power. You can really take advantage of it the way that I believe it's Citadel is the company that's in between yes. Robinhood. So that they're basically, every time a trade's made on Robinhood, they're basically profiting from it. Yes. To build that infrastructure, to get into that round, you really have to like have already ascended. So the thing which is super interesting is that even though it's very few people, perhaps maybe it's a few people at the top and like a few thousand people on Reddit. It's just this idea to me that it's like these like probably 19 year old. There, there are some videos of these people. It's like, there's like oh, a yeah, 19 yeah, year old yes. from his bedroom who all of a sudden has the power to like topple these few very rich people, which in itself is like fascinating because that is just part of the game. I think if you're getting into that game on either side, these are, these is the way in some way, really the stock market is supposed to be about the value equity of a company. But aside from that, I think it's understood to be this kind of casino already. And so they're basically like winning or losing at their own game. But what I wonder about is what, you know, is this the story that this narrative gets played out again in other stocks or even in other arenas? Are there places where, you know, 3000 Redditors can disrupt anything from stock market to like elections to the buying power boycotts. I think when lots of little people, not little meaning size or power, but just meaning like everyday people with an app can take down these kind of David and Goliath. I I, I think that a lot of people right now are looking at what happened here and feeling, oh, I'm more powerful than I think I am. And I, my friend told me this yesterday. I'm not totally sure if it's true, but I heard that the subreddit for Bitcoin over the past few days or week has, has just exploded with people. Yes. Cause I think a lot of people are like seeing that and going, oh, that's what all these crypto people have been doing is like, they're giving power back into the average it's ordinary not, person. It's not only that. It's also because the market got manipulated to help the hedge funds out. And they realized that the one market that cannot be manipulated is the crypto market. So if they were doing trading and they were moving it by organizing themselves in a group, I've been like keeping an eye on crypto markets since 2014. I didn't invest. I invested a bit in 2017, but then I trusted it too much. So I put some money in. I took like I made profit because 2017 end of 2017 was a profitable time for crypto. It was a boom time and I did profit and I took my um, original investment out and the rest, I just left it on the, whatever the trading index, not index. What do you call it? Like the, um, yeah, exchange. Yeah. I left it on the exchange. I didn't put it in a hardware wallet or anything like that. And three of those exchanges closed down at the, like the same time. Yeah. And they're, just gone bust and and that can happen in a crypto world and there is no accountability there is no one the cops don't understand like what's one of that's in new zealand cryptopia very big one and cops don't understand it they have no idea how to even like 
how are they going to even trace it? There's nothing. And you could just have an exchange. You could be trading hundreds of millions and you could just run away next day. And there is no centralized authority. You could go to who do you go to? You'd go to the local police station. <laughs> and that, hey, uh, by the way, this is what's happened. You, you trade at your own risk. No, but the, there was a good lesson for me that yeah, you had to learn how to deal with that sort of, then you are the cop yourself you have to be responsible and take more measures to protect it so yeah anyway the other yeah so the other thing was that just because people saw that the regular markets could be manipulated against that works against them like the small guys so they realized that okay like crypto market and then the crypto market has one another benefit that the stock market doesn't the stock market is open only eight hours a day crypto market is open 24 hours a day um yeah, and seven days a week, the stock is only open five days a week. So the time it takes for the stock market to move few days, it takes in a year, crypto market moves four times, five times more in the same amount of year you could trade more. So that yeah. is another thing that people are not realizing. And that's why crypto will, will build up to the traditional stock market five times faster it will move so in the next five or ten years there'd be there'd be a lot more crypto exchange and, and there are we are going to see trillionaires in the next five to ten years because of crypto no, not multi-billionaires trillionaires yeah yeah i don't know the math but it sounds reasonable yeah i don't know <laughs> yeah how, I yeah i mean but... just in the last 10 years it has Pretty much, I don't know. It is probably already a trillion worth, and there's everyday new coins coming out. You could, and, and a lot of them are going to inflate. No one knows what will become the, I don't know, the reserve currency. At the moment, it's Bitcoin, but it could change in, a, in an instant, in a year. It yeah. could become, yeah, who knows? <laughs> but yeah, anyway, it's super interesting. Any final thoughts for any tech? Because a lot of listeners of this one are tech entrepreneurs. Any final thoughts for any tech entrepreneurs out there? What should they be looking at? What should they be building? Or what should they be researching? Oh, man. Final thoughts. If you're an entrepreneur out there, I just think doing something you love is really important and that ideally is going to affect people in a positive way. I think yeah. that's what has always kept me going. And I've probably worked on about a dozen different startups and there's definitely been some that I start and like a few months into it, I realize, you know, I woke up and I'm not that excited about this anymore. And I think that's like a, a blessing to just, when you've talked a lot about like MVP and like lean product development, yes. but I think we should also consider our own kind of energy MVP energy management, yes. where it's if you're not excited about this or passionate about this, I think most startups, if your goal is to sell or build something with tens of thousands of users, like it's probably going to take at least two to five years, at least most times mm -hmm. 10 if you're raising rounds of funding. So yeah, I would say do something you love. I think that's... I think that's really important because I've seen a lot of people do things they don't love and just <laughs> why do that? Just go become like a whatever insert whatever job you yes. have angst against becoming a lawyer or whatever nothing against lawyers whatever a doctor whatever you were like i don't want to become that i don't want to get a <laughs> nine to five job and like clean toilets for the rest of my life or whatever is haunting you yeah so do something you love i think that's i think that's like the opportunity the internet is a great place to learn and to meet yes. people and i think taking advantage of that i think if you put your mind to it you could do anything you want totally is there a book that you are reading right now 
Oh my gosh, so many books. <laughs> oh, so you are like uh, like me. I like to read like few different books at the same time <laughs> concurrently. Yeah. Any that jump out? Oh man, I've been reading. I got I have like all nerdy, super nerdy books right now, but I have been reading about a bunch about privacy and yeah. something called OSINT, which is open source intelligence. I've been curious how much data about me is online. And so I've been using, there's a few books out there. This one guy, Michael Basil has a pretty good podcast and a book that I just bought. And he talks about, I guess he uses it to track down other people like targets that he like is researching their data, but I've been trying to do it to research myself. So I've been I've been reading that book as a way to, yeah, it's just amazing how much data we leave around the internet every day. <laughs> so I've been trying to learn more about that so I could also be more conscious and hopefully pass that on to other people as well. That is very cool. Because you said that I, sorry, I keep on having more and more questions for you. What is one thing someone can do to protect their data? I, I know you would say there's not one thing you could do, probably thousand things. <laughs> <laughs> or okay, one, two or three things. I think some of the basics that I see, I think having a password manager, like one pass or last pass is so yes. crucial. If you're using passwords multiple times, that's really problematic. People often say, then doesn't, if somebody breaks into one pass, you know, if they get hacked, then everybody knows all my passwords. That's like the biggest pushback I get, but that's not actually true. They don't even have all your passwords. You have a master password, which is like a hash. Yes. And they don't have that. If you lose that, basically you're effed. So maybe that's the only thing is you have to remember one password. That's why it's called that. But I think having that, because that will basically give you different secure 25 randomized, 25 character randomized passwords that you can have for every different site. It'll also tell you, remind you to update them over the years or if a site gets compromised, there's a site called Have You Been Pwned? P-W-N-D, Have You Been Pwned? And it'll show you all the sites that have been breached and compromised yes. over the past few years. And you can just put your email in and it will tell you all of these hackers have your data. And so something like one pass reminds you of that. I would start there. And I think two-factor authentication is also a good benefit that you can use. You can read more about that or you probably, people will probably have it. And the best way to do two-factor authentication is not by SIM, not by telephone number, but which is fine, which is better than nothing, but by using the Google authentication app. So you could probably watch a YouTube yes. video and do that. But I think those two steps would like right off the bat give you just much more increase. And I just switched to Brave browser, which has been really nice. It comes, it's built on Chrome, which Chromium, yeah. which is that what Chrome is. And I think that blocks a lot of the trackers around the internet too. Those are my three tips. One password. Those are really good tips. Okay. Pretty much was in crypto would probably know this already. <laughs> they use everyone in crypto uses like Brave and it's quite popular, Brave and that. And yeah, one pass is, is and yeah. And pretty much for a lot of the even exchanges and stuff, they use Google Authenticator or things like that. If you yeah. So definitely. Yeah. No, those are fantastic. Finally, do you have a ask? Is there anything you are looking for? Oh, I, you know, if anyone out there knows an agent for the book that I'm working on, I'm, I'm speaking with a few people right now, but yeah, I'm working on selling the book and yeah, it's called Uncoding Our Future and it's about the new internet. A lot of the things we just talked yes. about. So yeah, my email is chris at one month.com. Let me know. Happy to share that. Yeah. I'm shopping that around and yeah, I would love to, yeah, I would love any connections or any, anyone that thinks they could be helpful and, and contributing to the project, I would love to hear. Yeah. Curious and question. 
I was going to say I'm also at Castig, C-A-S-C-I-G yes. on Twitter, if that's your thing. Yeah. Um, curious thing, if you are into decentralization and taking the power back, why not self-publish it? Yeah, that's a really good question. I don't know. I think that there's a reality of the world we live in right now. There's gatekeepers still. And yes. and I'm not. I'm definitely not saying that all centralization is bad by any means. Like I use Spotify to see your example and I use Facebook and these kind of things. I think that there's a balance and I think the internet and I think the world is always evolving and going in a certain direction. And I think we, you and I, who are having this conversation and coders, I develop code as well. We all have a say. They say, you know, and and what the future is, people say vote with your dollar, but you could also code with your dollar, build products. We're all contributing to this future. And so I want to, I believe there's a lot more decentralization work that needs to happen, but in the world we're in right now, definitely book publishers have access to distribution. If you want to get in an airport, you want to get on the New York Times bestseller. I just don't have those connections. So (laughs) absolutely. Needing reality where it is right now. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. I will connect you to a couple of people who, Oh, uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So no, it has been absolutely marvelous to talk with you and, and talk about all sorts of things about internet and decentralization and future of internet. So that's really good. So yeah, wish you best of luck for your journey. Thanks, Sam. This has been so much fun. It's been great hanging out with you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Want Money, Got Money with Sam Kamani. Hope you enjoyed the show and got some valuable insights that would help you in your startup or your business. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate this show on your favorite platform. It would be extremely helpful and I just cannot tell you how much I would appreciate that.